In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. Racism is a spiritual malady that has to be uh, seen as something that it affects the hearts of the children of Adam and there needs to be a uh, spiritual remedies or spiritual medicines to help cure the diseased hearts of the children of Adam because I don't believe that trying to legislate away racism, passing laws, going through courts or within inside of the Muslim community uh, just to call people out for racism is going to actually be transformative and bring about long-term good. Um, it has to start from with inside the, the the inward states of the people, the ahwal have to be changed before we can get to uh, some of these other uh, measures that many times people in our community want to run to firstly. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wire podcast. Salim here with my co-host Ghaidar. We have with us uh, today uh, on the show uh, Imam Dawood Walid, who is executive director of the Council of American Islamic Relations, uh, has uh, served in capacity as imam at, uh, at multiple institutions as a social activist, and is also uh, an author. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his book today, which is called Centering Black Narrative, Black Muslim Nobles Among the Early Pious Muslims. We're going to talk about a topic that's been discussed a lot in uh, the broader American society, and that topic is racism. But today we want to focus specifically about racism in the uh, in the Muslim community. Um, and I think uh, to begin, uh, Imam Dawood, um, you've been pointing out that there is an absence of discussion of the spiritual element a lot when we talk about curing racism. I, I was hoping that you could maybe start us off with that and how you how you see this problem and what made you uh, start to really focus a lot of your energy in discussing the spiritual elements of of addressing racism. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on uh, this podcast with both of you. And uh, in terms of addressing this issue as um, from a more spiritual perspective, uh, it's it's more of a broader outlook that I've seen in the uh, activist community in recent years that uh, a lot of people when they want to address uh, issues that take place, be it in the broader society or even inside of our community, the the reflex has been is to look at uh, social political remedies, being it uh, marching, protesting, um, trying to use the law and advocacy and, and, and things like that. And those things are good uh, and those things are tools, but they're not really getting at the heart of the matter of the actual uh, spiritual illnesses and spiritual maladies that affect many of the issues that we deal with in society. And uh, racism is uh, one of those things that, in fact, uh, I believe is a spiritual malady that has to be uh, seen as something that is it affects the hearts of the children of Adam. And there needs to be, uh, I believe, from that perspective, a uh, spiritual remedies or spiritual medicines to help cure the diseased hearts of the children of Adam, because I don't believe that uh, trying to legislate away racism, passing laws, going through courts or within inside of the Muslim community uh, just to call people out for racism is going to actually be transformative and bring about long term good. Um, it has to start from with inside the, the the inward states of the people or the ahwal have to be changed before we can get to uh, some of these other uh, measures that many times people in our community want to run to firstly. 
Could you just briefly discuss or, or define uh, what racism is and, so that we can basically be talking about, everyone understands what we're talking about here when we talk about racism? Well, racism from a secular uh, construct and within sociology and critical race theory, people will say that racism is prejudice plus power. Uh, but that in and of itself uh, is not the perspective that I'm going to be working from when I'm talking about uh, ethnic uh, bigotry and anti-black racism uh, in, in particular. Uh, it is uh, a, a spiritual malady that is really uh, based and centered upon the spiritual disease of Al-Kibr. And uh, we know from the Quran that this is one of the three initial acts of disobedience from a created being to Allah when uh, Allah commanded all of those who were uh, with the angels, uh, he commanded the Malaika and all, of, and all in their company to make sujood to Adam. And all of them did except Iblis. And then Adam, uh, uh, Iblis uh, then said, uh, He said, I am better than him, that you made me of fire, but you made him of clay. So Iblis is really the original racist, and it is the, the, uh, the demeanor, the perception to look at someone else's uh, being in which they had no control over how they were created, and they think that they are somehow better uh, based upon their race, their ethnicity, their uh, ansab or lineage, even though they had absolutely nothing to do with their own race, lineage, uh, or or ethnic group. That was something that was given to them by Allah in his, in his ultimate wisdom. And I think that is really the starting point of, of racism as a spiritual disease is based in kibr, or, or I didn't translate the term earlier for those who don't understand the word in Arabic, but is arrogance. So by by this uh, this this arrogance, so would you then posit that anyone who's exhibiting prejudice is exhibiting with a, a, a central characteristic, the central flaw of shaitan or iblis, original, uh, you know, in, towards Adam? Is that what you would posit and say that this is actually a satanic uh, influence? It it can be a manifestation of el kibr, which is a an attribute of iblis, and it can also be. A uh, an attribute or a manifestation of the spiritual disease of El Hasid, which is uh, envy. Uh, Sufyan ibn Uryayna, rahmatullahi it was his opinion that uh, El Hasid was the first uh, sin that was committed in the heaven, in which uh, Iblis was envious of of Adam, uh, and then also. It was the first uh, sin that was in creation when Cain was envious of, of Abel. So there, there can be a, uh, an, uh, also a manifestation of, of racism. I don't like using the term reverse racism, but there can also be a type of ethnic or racial uh, bigotry towards another group of people when they feel like uh, another a group of people are, are somehow uh, have some sort of socio-political position over them or feel like they're getting uh, more recognition than them in their group or their people. And it could cause those individuals or those people within that group to then show uh, envy and then uh, wrongly talk about or, or wrongly cast 
large dispersions on an entire group of people. Uh, so that is also another manifestation. And, and you know, al-hasid is a spiritual disease, just like kibr is a spiritual disease. So it, it basically, so like, for example, like someone who may be wronged, they can also do wrong or the, or the oppressor can also sometimes be wrong themselves. Is that what you're saying that it's not always, uh, you know, cut and dry or, or simple that way? Oh, it's definitely not cut and dry. And there's a saying that hurt people hurt people, right? So uh, people uh, who have been hurt for a long time and have been subjected to racism, and we're talking about anti-racism or anti-black racism specifically, that black people, uh, due to being hurt, I mean, systematically in the American society for uh, 400 plus years, and then some of the things that have taken place in the Muslim community and still go on, uh, in which uh, people have suffered uh, individual acts of uh, uh, bigotry or may feel like black people aren't given a proper voice with inside the American Muslim community, can then cause uh, black people, um, it could be reacting to pain, it could also be uh, a type of, of, of envy to uh, actually then uh, perpetrate wrong and, and cast uh, dispersions or or make extremely broad generalizations that can be negative about an entire uh, swath uh, of people and even treat certain individuals uh, unfairly or unjustly based upon the pain that they've suffered. And this is a type of uh, uh, what we could call counter-transference. This is a great point, uh, Imam Dawood, and I wanted to uh, kind of uh, go back uh, to the um, beginning of the discussion when uh, you mentioned um, about, uh, you know, the Amrad al-Qulub or Amrad al-Nafus, uh, diseases of the heart or the spiritual heart uh, with hasad or kibr. Um, and uh, in retrospect, I'm trying to remember uh, some of the um, things related to, um, you know, our experiences here as American Muslims and going back uh, to the lately discovered letter of Malcolm X uh, back in 2015 when he suggested um, a cure for racism and that cure for racism in his letter was uh, for whites in America to convert to Islam, uh, according to my understanding. And uh, he said that by them knowing the oneness of God, that is after, of course, he came back uh, from his uh, Hajj, uh, they will get to know the oneness of man. And um, is it safe as of this kind of uh, spiritual insight that Malcolm, rahimahullah, uh, you know, gave out to America. You know, basically the larger uh, the the larger non-Muslim America. Uh, is it possible to kind of um, you know warn us or scare us uh, as Muslims uh, or Muslim Americans in general? Because um, you know, when you come to uh, Muslims and they'll tell you there's no racism in Islam. Yeah. You know, uh, what what are you talking about? I'm Muslim. Blah blah, and and they keep going on. But then when you tell him, listen. You know, if you do this, you are really scratching or you're kind of hurting the oneness or your experiential tawheed between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you hint upon aqidah with Muslims, they kind of get scared. <laughs> so what do you think about this? Is there some sort of a, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess a stream that we can draw from uh, Malcolm's letter uh, to white America versus us uh, being kind of um, scared for our experiential tawheed? Well, our beloved brother, Malcolm X, the great uh, American Muslim 
uh, martyr, uh, R. Imam Hussein in the United States of America, made that Hajj trip, and it was extremely transformative to him, especially since he came uh, out of the Nation of Islam, which was a type of uh, black superiority movement as an answer to uh, to anti-black racism and white supremacy. Uh, so he had a very optimistic view. And it's true that uh, if we as Muslims internalize uh, uh, Tawheed and not just Ulmi, uh, but 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 Amali, not 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 just a theoretical Tawheed, but a practical Tawheed. That yes, uh, that would uh, help rid uh, Muslims and, and actually rid uh, humankind uh, of racism. Uh, but the reality is, is that um, um, uh, Muslims in general, including American Muslims, like we are not post diseases of the heart. So just as we have other issues that we deal with in, in the community from uh, issues such as uh, sexual deviance, uh, you know, just because someone is a Muslim and maybe even makes their prayers doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're cured of that or Muslims are involved in selling alcohol or gambling, that uh, that in of itself of just being Muslim uh, doesn't uh, make one inoculated. Uh, from the issues of racism. And and it's true what Muslims say, that Islam is free of racism. That is true. But Muslims definitely are not free of racism. And we even can see stories in uh, a hadith that are uh, sahihah, that are authentic, where there were racial and tribal issues, even amongst the Sahaba and Tabi'een, that had to be dealt with by the Prophet and the Khulafa, had to, had to deal with these issues. Uh, so... You know, I, I think the first uh, the first step in us uh, caring or, or, or seeking remedies for our individual selves or as a community is we have to first admit that we have a problem. We have to recognize that we have a problem. And this you know, takes muhasaba and perhaps community uh, internal uh, reflection. So we have to first recognize we have the problem and then we have to actually uh, at least confess to ourselves, if not publicly, that we have a problem. And uh, only uh, through that, we can then walk on a road to recovery of making ourselves as uh, better human beings and better Muslims, and in particular, to deal with the issues of uh, of racism and, and, and anti-black racism within inside the American Muslim community. Well, that's just it, right? Because I think, you know, um, speaking from, say, the immigrant community, South Asian, Arab, or uh, other uh, immigrant communities. Um, that's the issue is that there's there's a lack of of uh, recognition of the problem. Uh, even the, just using the word racism, right? I mean, just in broader American society, like nobody wants to be called a racist, right? Um, and so whenever you use you use that term racism, everyone says, "Well, I, I'm not I'm not racist." That's, that's they just automatically have this defense that's put up when even when the word is is used, which is why, for example, one of the reasons sometimes I use the word anti-blackness because it's sort of it's sort of pinpointing more like what the issue is uh, that we're trying to discuss. Um, but still, then people just don't seem to understand that there is. Uh, a problem of anti-blackness in the community, both on, in both due to both explicit prejudice as well as because we, we've also, you know, uh, internalized a lot of uh, biases from uh, our cultures, from uh, the uh, the countries we live in. Uh, what is, or I'll ask both of you. I mean, what what is what are the means by which first you can take those blinders off about this issue? Because a lot of people don't really see that it is an issue related to anti-blackness. 
And I wanted also to add, uh, Imam Dawood, before you answer, that, uh, like, for instance, where uh, of the circles that I came from as well, whenever you bring this idea of anti-blackness, they'll tell you, well, join the club, you know, uh, let's say, if we're talking about Arabs, uh, I, I come from the Middle East, and, you know, they tell you people don't give out their daughters to the people from the next town, you know, and if you're Jordanian, the Syrian will not uh, talk to you, and if you're uh, Turkish, the, uh, uh, the Arab or the Palestinian, uh, you know, will be kind of, you know, against you, you know, people from Egypt are this way and people from Sudan are that way and we keep going on and on. So when it comes to anti-blackness uh, in Muslim America, we get kind of another layer of defense saying, hey, uh, I'm facing racism myself, uh, even from my own countrymen or whoever is from my cultural background or from my own uh, kind of, uh, you know, minority immigrant community. Uh, that's living in the U.S. and that's so. even worse now. I think because like, with the with this uh, Islamophobia is that like a lot of I feel like a lot of people in the immigrant Muslim communities they're just like even more caught up with this like oh we're just dealing with all this like you know prejudice towards Muslims and it, it's I feel like actually the efforts to eradicate race intra-Muslim racism it, um, it, it's it's uh, it's gotten worse because everyone's just like well I'm just trying to deal with this issue of uh, Islamophobia. Islamophobia towards me was not even taking account that Islamophobia is connected with uh, anti-black racism on its own, but everyone's their attention is is even is more diverted to the issue. So uh, Imam Dawood, I'm sorry, you were going to say uh, we we're posing that question to you in terms of this issue. Well, there's two things I like to say regarding that, uh, and this goes back to each individual um, doing self inventory and taking. Uh, accountability, right? So the first is, and I, I touched on this earlier, is the issue of of kibr, of arrogance. So we as individuals, as Muslims, uh, we are looking at other Muslims and making judgments that they are lesser than human beings, that they somehow have some sort of negative attributes, like they're prone to being more lazy, prone to being more violent, prone to being less beautiful simply because of the darkness of their skin or the texture of their hair. And those who aren't from that think that they're better because they're lighter or maybe their hair is straighter. Then this goes back to the issue of kibber. And this needs constant reminders that people need from their teachers and their scholars. And if anyone carries this uh, type of, um, um, uh, if they come to this realization that they have that, and they're making judgments about people based upon the exterior, uh, it's actually mentioned in Ihya al-Muddin by uh, Abu Hamad uh, al-Ghazali, that one of the first things that a person does is actually invert the statement of Iblis. Uh, they should say, huwa khairun minni. So that person, perhaps they actually are better than I am, right? Because we look at ourselves and we know that maybe we look a certain way, um, but God made everyone, everything beautiful. He's a source of beauty. But that person, maybe they have uh, a higher level of, of morality. Maybe their maqam is higher with lines of wajal. Maybe that person is a wali of Allah. And, and, and we don't know it. We can't see it. And we're making judgments. So we, we should assume that uh, if we carry this arrogance inside of ourselves, we should look at the other person outside of our group and a black person in particular said that uh, this person probably has some sort of fuddle or virtue that I don't carry, and I should treat this individual, him or her, uh, 
with 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 that respect, firstly, as a creation of Allah of Allah Azza wa Jalla, Bani Adam, that Allah honored all the children of Adam, but that also that person may have some sort of spiritual or intellectual virtue that uh, the one who is making the quick judgment uh, doesn't have. So they, they should uh, take a look at that. The second thing is Imam Arafin Ali Babi Talib Kramalahuaja. He said, that people are adversaries or people are enemies of that uh, which they are ignorant of. So uh, sometimes the the anti-blackness relates to um, arrogance, like flat out arrogance, kibber. Uh, some of it may be uh, arrogance, but also could be a, a mixture uh, of a type of lack of knowledge because they've never really interacted with people in any real meaningful way who are black or who are outside their ethnic group, right? Like they they pray in a masjid and everyone looks like them. Or if, even if they pray in a masjid with other people or black people, they might pray next to them in the soft, but then uh, they never uh, see them anywhere else. They don't invite them over to their home for dinner. They don't see them at the nikah or the walima. Uh, they have no other interaction except maybe seeing them on, in Salat al-Jum'ah or maybe Salat uh, al-Tarawih. Uh, so this is also a problem that people can carry um, uh, uh, ignorant perceptions about people, which then too are fortified and solidified in American media and particularly about African-American people, that then they can make uh, judgments about uh, about black people uh, based upon their own uh, jahil. And uh, this uh, issue right here is uh, is helped or it can be alleviated through what I talked about, uh, developing interpersonal relationships and having some meaningful suhbah or um, gatherings, companionship with other people uh, that aren't like them, and particularly black people. And this is something that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam did at the migration in, in Medina, where he paired off uh, not just uh, the Muhajireen with the, the Ansar, but he uh, paired off people of different tribes and paired off uh, Ethiopians or Habashi people and Nubian people with people who were Arabs and made them uh, close confidants and, and best friends as a way of bringing the hearts together of the Muslims, but also to try to cure the 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 Asabiya or the deep tribalism that existed amongst in the Arab amongst the Arabs and Asul Jahiliya. So uh, these are a couple of issues, and but I mentioned in these a uh, couple of issues, uh, a couple of remedies uh, to to help with these with these spiritual maladies. So. Uh... You take, for example, uh, you mentioned about the Sahabah, the being in proximity or, or being companionship with uh, people of different backgrounds. Um, and uh, you alluded to earlier that there's been several incidents that are related to us in, in early Muslim history, and even during the time of the Prophet, uh, where uh, you know, uh, individuals were exhibiting uh, uh, prejudice, racist attitudes. And I think probably the most famous one that, um, that I think most of people are familiar, familiar with is, is the the incident with um, Abu Dhar and Bilal. Um, now, now, obviously, these are two great companions of the Prophet and they were together. So they were they were in Suhbah, I guess you could you could you could say, right? But yet, still, there was this um, this episode where this there clearly there was this prejudice that was uh, elicited. 
Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts about that um, incident or any other incidents and and what are some of the lessons that you gleaned from that um, in terms of how we should approach this this problem today? Well, um, relating to that famous hadith uh, relating to the dispute uh, between uh, Abu Dhar, Abu Dhar's insult to Bilal, uh, um, I look at that uh, dispute or that issue not simply as a racial issue of how we look at today, but it was more of an issue of of, of anger or ghadab that Abu Dhar had in which acting off of, of anger comes from the shaitan. Our Prophet said that in al ghadab min shaitan that the uh, surely rage, meaning acting off of rage, comes from the, the devil. And this is why he said, let taqdab, let taqdab, let taqdab, don't act off of, off of rage. But this was an issue that perhaps was based more in or connected to classism and not just what we would consider uh, racism or tribalism, though uh, there is a connection between classism and racism now as it was back then. So let me f- first touch on the description of Abu Dhar. Abu Dhar <clears throat> in, in, in contemporary terms would be considered black if you were walking down the street, okay, or at least a black Arab, like someone who's from from Sudan or perhaps southern part of Egypt or Mauritania. He, he's described as Kana Tawilan Adamulaun. He was considered as uh, tall, with uh, with dark um, with dark brown skin. This is description of of Abu Dhar al-Kafari. He's described as as Adam Mulan, or uh, dark brown skin. Um, Bilal was described as having darker brown skin or chocolate brown skin. Uh, when uh, Abu Dhar uh, said to Bilal, "Yabna Sauda, or you son of a black woman," uh, that in fact was a truthful statement because Bilal's mother Hamama. Who, of course, was a Muslim. She was amongst the companions in the in, among the uh, muhajirin. It's true, she was a uh, a, a black woman. Uh, the difference between Abu Dhar, who was a a black Arab, and Bilal, who was a black Ethiopian, within this statement is that uh, Abu Dhar's mother was Hurra, or she was a a free woman. Whereas Bilal's mother had been Jaria or Amma, she had been a slave woman. Uh, so I tend not to look at this issue uh, simply within the context of being uh, race, but more of a put down in terms of, of, of class or status in, 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 the, in the society. But the thing about Bilal, and we all can, uh, I mean, the, the issue about Abu Dhar in which he acted off of anger and uh, he made some of the speech of, of the time of the of the days of ignorance is that when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came to him and told him that he was a man who still had some of the days of ignorance in him, uh, Abu Dhar, who was, who was corrected publicly, by the way, uh, he didn't make a lot of excuses. Uh, he didn't go into defensive mode. Uh, he realized that what he was doing or what he had done was uh, out of pocket, is how we say uh, in, in the in the hood as, as black people. He was wrong, and he uh, not only uh, you know uh, acknowledged the behavior, but he wanted to make it right. So, like it's when, when we injure people, it's not just good enough to say, "Oh, I seek forgiveness." I, I seek forgiveness. 
that we have to try to right the wrong. So, you know, as the as the tradition says, Abu Dhar then went to lay on the ground and and asked uh, Bilal to put his uh, foot on his face and on his neck as a type of atonement for the pain. Uh, because, uh, you know, the, the some of the narrations said that Bilal was hazinan, that he was extremely grieved by this statement that, uh, that Abu Dhar said. So Abu Dhar wanted to try to make the, uh, he wanted to right the wrong of, of the, of the zulm that he had committed on Bilal or the, or the injustice. Uh, one of the narrations that's weaker, it's not Sahih, but in one of the narrations it said that uh, Bilal actually uh, said that he uh, pardoned him, he forgave him, uh, Afwan Afwan, and they they embraced. So there was a type of, of reconciliation process that took place. And, uh, you know, I think that when we commit acts against people, be it, uh, if on an individual level or if we know that there's that there have been in some of our institutions, uh, be it Masajid or Islamic organizations that have uh, marginalized black people or have done insensitive uh, things to black people, that there needs to be uh, a, a public uh, acknowledgement and a path towards uh, reconciliation And the Muslims who are black. Uh, sh- sh- should also learn the lesson of Sayyidina Bilal and not try to. Uh, beat people upside the head proverbially and, and, and keep on being a dead horse, but actually uh, be open uh, to the reconciliation and not be in a perpetual state of just continuing to uh, harbor uh, animus or, or or disdain for the for for individuals or for organizations when they actually try to do efforts to reach out in terms of reconciliation and, and, and sincerely try to make things right. So one of the things I, that I particularly I take from the story, uh, especially as it pertains to Abu Dhar, uh, speaking as I am from an immigrant community, is that, uh, and this is sort of uh, goes back to what I was saying before about sort of the, the, uh, the, the fear of being called a racist, right? Just having that label being put on you. Um, some People looking at the story would by uh, uh, would would say uh, would say that Abu Dhar radhiallahu anhu was exhibiting racism in this uh, and prejudice, um, but that I think sort of and 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 we can talk about that. But I think the the thing that I learned from here, one of the, the lessons I, I I take from it is that um, someone can be of a very uh, good character, someone can be a very a good standing. But they may have these implicit biases. They may have these prejudices, and that's just a sign that there's, there still needs to be spiritual work that's done. So if I can say, like for myself, it's like okay, I can say that well, I am a ra- I can say I am a racist. That doesn't necessarily condemn me for all of eternity. The power of the story for me is that that Abu Dhar was redeemed by his action, by his by his remorse, by his toba, by his uh, his offering his his foot to the to the ground for Bilal to step on it. And I think a lot of times when we talk about this issue, especially from the immigrant community, we're so concerned about that, like, oh, someone's saying something about me or something's wrong with me. That's okay. We have to all understand as we're spiritual beings that we realize that we all have spiritual problems. And we shouldn't necessarily run away from that. We should learn from that, accept that, yes, I have a problem. Yes, I have prejudice. Yes, I have imbibed this um, these biases that are in the society around me towards of, of anti-blackness. Uh, accept that, understand it, and then know that there's a path to redemption, and that is through the spiritual means of, of Tuskia purifying the heart. 
Yes, and our Prophet who was a man uh, who, who, who transformed men, a man who transformed men, if we also look at the narration, he didn't call Abu Dhar a racist, or he didn't even call him an, an ignorant man. He said that you have some ignorance in you. You have a man who has some ignorance in you, or a person who has ignorance in you. So uh, he didn't he didn't make the sum total of who Abu Dhar was by a label of calling him racist. So yes, of course there are racist people in our community, but. I submit that if we are actually trying to help individuals and transform people, that we can point out racist statements that they may make or ignorant things that they uh, have done or do, but to actually get into calling people names in their face and thinking that by calling people names, that's going to change uh, behaviors by shaming them. Uh, I don't think that's the, the right way to go. And as you mentioned, we are not a, a, a sum total of, of certain mistakes that we make. We are uh, human beings uh, who, for the most of us, we are neither all angelic, all angelic nor all uh, disobedient in our in ourselves. And Human beings, by nature, we have uh, a reflex to want to protect our honor and our dignity. And in public, if someone is calling a person uh, a racist or they're just such a bad person, that the natural instinct of, of, of most people, even if they feel or they can recognize they've done something wrong, if they're being defined by that one action, that they're going to defend, they're going to try to defend themselves and, de and defend their honor. So I really think that an anti-racism work uh, in our community, that if we want to uh, transform how things are, then people, be they uh, American Muslims who are black or even uh, Daisies or Arabs, uh, shouldn't go around and say, oh, all of the uncles, or all the ammos, like, like, yeah, all the Arab ammos are racist, or all of the Desi uncles, yeah, all of you are racist. Like, I don't think that's a way that we're going to uh, bring a positive change and transformation inside the American Muslim community dealing with anti-blackness or uh, colorism or any uh, type of uh, problem that we have in the American Muslim community relating to uh, marginalization of groups of people. And this is when, uh, you know, of course, you mentioned about the, uh, you know, the community trying to actively, uh, you know, to, to recognize the problem and then work towards uh, some sort of a solution. In my perspective, at least um, on some of the masajid that are, you know, sprinkled around the East Coast, um, you know, I do see a lot of island masajid, meaning uh, masajid that are built exclusively around uh, a certain type of community, like only, let's say, a Syrian masjid or only uh, a Pakistani masjid or only uh, an Egyptian masjid. And that is more of a phenomena that is preventing this type of, um, you know, um, I guess, interaction. So when people are more comfortable, they're more enclosed into their own bubbles, you know, there's not even, uh, you know, uh, a medium for these interactions to happen. And that's why when these interactions happen by chance with, with no active kind of planning, uh, you see people reacting in unfortunate ways. And then they tend to, you know, either run away or like Salim said, you know, kind of, you know, um, be defensive or anything of the above. So... Uh, I guess that's a message for us uh, all as a community to think about the way that we're building our masajid, you know, and not the 
actual building, but you know, around what kind of group or community were doing that. Uh, but I wanted to, um, you know, kind of bring to you, Imam Dawood, uh, another point that was kind of, uh, you know, uh, on my mind since we talked about the spiritual remedies uh, of, um, uh, you know, uh, anti-blackness or racism in general. Um, and uh, I want to bring this idea of our spiritual uh, uh, teachers, you know, um, sometimes being uh, too esoteric or too, uh, you know, kind of uh, spiritual, um, I guess, in terms of dealing with the, uh, the issues of the uh, Muslim community in the West. Uh, for example, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, certain teachings of our tezkiyah, it, 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 like, you know, we are constantly reminded about zuhud and we should uh, leave away uh, you know the um, you know the world and its materialism and whatnot and there's a lot of this kind of hovering over reality and uh, it seems that uh, you know a lot of the spiritual teaching at least to my uh, you know observation are lacking being real or lacking the realism of you know matching that spirituality with the actual things that are on the ground so is there such a thing uh, you know that we can kind of address maybe you know a, a lot of the you know good tasawwuf circles you know are very active in terms of dealing with some interpersonal you know uh, relationship issues or um, uh, you know illnesses of the nafs but when it comes to these things, they're not very much in tune with, you know, the activist part of it or the, I guess, the reality of it. You know, we are spiritual beings, but we are humans. So it should not, you know, kind of that our spirituality should not, you know, kind of eclipse our humanity and, and the things that we deal with on a day to day basis. I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think that there needs to be uh, more discussion about this and actually uh, Muridin uh, perhaps need to talk with their with their shiuch and bring up some of these issues if they're bothering them and uh, try to get them to discuss these uh, types of issues such as racism in the halaqat. Um, but I mean, I applaud El Medina Institute for being one of those spiritually based organizations that attempts to uh, address the issue and not just uh, attempts to address the issue here or there, but to uh, have it in discussions and deal with it on a regular basis, not just bring it up one time or two times, but to be you know engaged in the conversation that could hopefully uh, bring about long-term change. I know Zaytuna has been involved and had these discussions um uh, here and there, though I know there's some people that have taken issue to some uh, statements or certain uh, ways that that has been uh, discussed. But I think that it's the the the, the students uh, need to uh, in, in their in their relationship with their teachers with their shiuk need to bring up these issues. I'd also like to uh, backtrack a little bit, and I think this relates. Or I, and I try to uh, as best as I can to. Uh, follow the advice of Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, where he said that we should try to give our brothers or try to give our sisters seba'in or or the 70 excuses, that when we talk about our uh, Islamic institutions or, or our circles, especially when we're talking about immigrants, like I understand 
why certain uh, massaget or certain circles have been insular. At the same time, we need to push to make them uh, more inclusive and for people starting with the leaders to reach out to other leaders and broaden uh, uh, the horizons of their of their students. Like, for instance, uh, immigrants who came who come to the United States of America who may know very little English or, or maybe no English at all. Um, I totally understand why they came to the United States of America and started a Bosnian centered, uh, a Bosnian centered uh, institution or a Albanian or, or Syrian. I can understand that, like uh, not fluent in the language of the uh, of the country. Uh, you're in a, in a strange land and you want to be around people who you understand, not just the language, but also just uh, culturally and certain unspoken language as understood. Um, so I understand how organizations and massages get established on that paradigm. And the same thing, not just with race, but ideology. Uh, and I'll give you an example in Detroit. We have a, a Senegalese uh, center that was started about two years ago, about a mile and a half away from another masjid where most of the people there are West African. But the uh, the imam of the the one masjid that was that was there earlier uh, has Salafi orientation. And then the other center there part of so they want to do dhikr and so there, there, there's no group dhikr allowed at the Salafi place so they start up another place just so they could do qasaid and do dhikr and do a maladun nebawi so there was an ideological thing there as well so uh, I understand why some of these centers tend to be a little more uh, closed off and a little more ethically based but you know uh, again uh, the people of normative or traditional Islam, whatever term we prefer to use, the people of Islamic spirituality, we do need to make the effort. And it starts with us talking with our teachers. Hope, hopefully they can bring up these issues. And, and, and then those teachers uh, talking and dealing with other teachers outside of their tariqah, uh, outside of their ethnic group. And I think that would help encourage their uh, murids to then perhaps step outside their comfort zone and do um, uh, a broader type of social interaction. Speaking of, speaking of comfort zones, I mean, uh, and with uh, with uh, Radar, you know, we were talking earlier about these spiritual circles not uh, really getting into addressing the the specific point of anti-blackness and racism. Um, I feel that it's actually an issue of just unfulfilled spirituality and that our concept of how we think of Tuskia, of how we think of purification of the heart is really relegated to a very specific niche or a specific comfort zone of how we practice spirituality. So we do we do certain uh, dhikr, we do certain uh, practices, but the whole point or, or one of the, the central tenets of this process of Tuskia is this constant examination of the heart in terms of what is entering it and what is coming out? Uh, what are those inclinations that are coming through me? What are those those whims, those ideas that are coming through? Uh, what are those desires that are coming through? And guarding the heart and examining what is coming out of it, examining our own thoughts. And I think that's where sort of there's a disconnect for a lot of the uh, of our spirituality in dealing with this concept of uh, of dealing with of racism is that we are not really examining our hearts on a constant basis because Tuskia is a constant practice. It's this a continuous spiritual practice 
uh, again, of, of looking at the heart, of, of doing, as you said, Imam Dawood earlier, of muhasab, of taking account daily about what I have done, what I have felt, what who who have I harmed or who have I helped, um, and and I think that's the jump, the leap that we need to make, especially in these spiritual circles, is that this is part of it. Like someone who is in uh, these murids or th- or someone who is in these spiritual circles, they should be able to have a discourse about white supremacy and connect that with what is going on in their heart, because a lot of white supremacy living in this country is that you've imbibed. Um, norms, ideas from a culture, from a society that you may not actually be conscious of, but it's actually influencing your behavior. So you're not going to really recognize this in number one until first you um, you learn about the problem. And that is actually ilm or a, a, a sacred knowledge. Actually, if you look at Tazkiyah, that is the gateway towards the whole um process of Tazkiyah so you can make toba. So the same thing with this issue, you have to start to learn about the issue. And then, on, and then once you learn about the issue, you understand like, okay, this is something in my heart that I have a certain inclination towards this, or I have a certain idea about a certain um, ethnic group or racial group here. So in my opinion, I feel that it's actually just unfulfilled spirituality. Just we're not giving the spiritual, uh, giving it its full due in terms of how it really is supposed to operate. I agree. And I will just uh, say that um, besides uh, one of my teachers from uh, from West Africa, but I've never uh, heard uh, uh, our shayuk, at least shayuk that I've been in the company of or seen a book on Islamic spirituality that has been written in English to deal with Muslims in the West to talk about the issue of Tazkiyatun Nefs that mentions racism as one of those things that needs to be uh, dealt with and be purified. So I think that as as what was said earlier, that, you know, sometimes we have uh, a type of Islamic spirituality where we talk about things that are more like esoteric or uh, like big concepts like like, like a zuhud, uh, for instance, that, that was mentioned earlier. But like for the the practical examples and like dealing with racism as really not just a, a socio-political issue, firstly, but something that is a spiritual malady that is uh, inspired by the shaitan himself. Um, you know, we really don't hear uh, that being uh, discussed uh, within the the framework of of, of Tazkiyatun Nefs and uh, perhaps uh, that's something that we can work on and maybe even uh, work on publications or begin to even incorporate that in, in, in our halakat, at least for some of us who are aware that that's, that, that's an issue that needs to be discussed within the issues of the uh, spiritual maladies that affects uh, the hearts of the children of Adam. Yeah, I think even like just uh, one more point, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about privilege, right? You know, uh, and uh, there's certainly a degree of privilege for immigrant Muslims as well and in, in, in within the Muslim community um, uh, that is in many ways akin to some of the, the privilege that we talk about, for example, for white Americans and just in the broader American society. But, for example, from a spiritual, like fulfilling that, that, that true spiritual approach, someone who is uh, understanding that they have been privileged, um, uh, you know, by, by, by really being spiritual, you just by, by its very essence – uh, you uh, tend to 
be very critical of your own self. Uh, you do not want to elevate your own self. So you, uh, self-entitlement is sort of the antithesis of, of a lot of that those experiences in Islamic spirituality. So that in a way ties, for example, with the, the concept of privilege, that you understand, well, I'm get, why am I getting this thing? Or why am I put in this position? Why am I always the one who uh, is... is is getting this perk or this this, um, this this privilege, and someone who is very spiritually attuned to the workings of what's going on in their heart, that they, they'll know that. Well, I want to I want to uh, um, battle against that for my own health of my own nafs, right? So I think a lot of these things can be connected um, with just classic Islamic spirituality. It's just that we have not been able to really connect them, and I think that's the frustration for a lot of people on the uh, uh, in a different circle who feel that a lot of this these spiritual um, approaches to uh, racism are nothing but just typical, uh, uh, you know, Muslim response of just saying oh, there's no racism in Islam and and uh, that's it, right? You know, so people just look at it at a different angle. But really, if we're really working hard at it, um, it doesn't need to be that way. It's actually, a, it actually can be the cure. I agree 100%. And just let me say that in, in the, the anti-racism discourse that's in our, our community, like I haven't heard from... Uh, I like watch. Let me let me let me reframe that. I would like to hear more the the, the stressing on the spiritual basis of how we deal with anti-racism than just talking about um, some sort of like secular based curriculum. Like for instance, uh, Islamic chivalry or what we would say a uh, fatua that would lead us to preferring others over ourselves, like how the Sahaba got to the point where they would even like to prefer their brother to get more azure and be in the soft in front of them praying than themselves, or they would prefer to give their brother water uh, over themselves when they were like in, in a very hot climate, even at a Ghazwa. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the type of Islamic spirituality that can be connected to uh, anti-black racism and helping raise people awareness about their about their privilege and the need that, or the the high spiritual uh, level or station that of 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 seeing that you have something and yet preferring that your brother has it over yourself because you have it and they don't have it right. Um, but, but again, you know, it, it, you know, we, we need to have a, a different type of discourse, I believe. And I think that it is up to the, the students of knowledge and the people who are connected to Islamic spirituality that need to offer a different type of discourse on anti-racism work and anti-blackness than what seems to be uh, prevailing or prevalent right now in, in many of the Muslim activist circles. Well, I mean, uh, it seems that uh, the more we delve into this, uh, the more wider the net gets in terms of the issues that we have. And uh, you mentioned uh, Sidi Daoud on uh, the issue of fatwa and ithar, you know, preferring, um, you know, the other over oneself. Uh, that uh, kind of reminds me of another, um, you know, issue, which is uh, or a manifestation of, uh, you know, missing the point maybe is the issue of... Uh, suburban uh, spirituality, you know, or uh, spirituality that is more, um, you know, based on class. You know, you see that uh, folks that are in the affluent neighborhoods, you know, uh, when something happens, let's say, uh, they send their prayers and they send their love. Now, it's it's just reduced to a Facebook status, maybe, or a tweet, you know, uh, sending our love and prayers, you know, to 
uh, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, maybe an incident uh, in the uh, city or something like that. So um, we see that a lot of that spirituality or form of spirituality, uh, you know, being connected is kind of uh, turning into a distancing oneself from the actual, you know, nooks and crannies of the matter. And, uh, you know, we don't see an initiative of, uh, you know, some folks going, let's, well, why don't we just go to these neighborhoods? Why don't we just go to the city and, and see what's going on in these, um, you know, um, um, disenfranchised neighborhoods and uh, which will be mostly, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, African-American, black or uh, some Latino communities and so on and so forth. And it seems very difficult uh, to some of these folks to take it on because they fear uh, that kind of interaction. They uh, Some of the folks cannot bear uh, kind of, uh, you know, meeting the reality of it. You know, for instance, uh, you know, I you know, may feel that, hey, I live in uh, an affluent community and if I want to go and help in one of these, let's say, weekend events, I may not be, uh, you know, uh, uh, able to deal with those folks, you know, uh, to res- uh, I may not be able to respect them in the way uh, that I should and uh, that kind of makes me not take the action altogether. I may, I may say something wrong, you know, and I may be f- labeled as racist or I may do something that is not appreciating, uh, you know, or, or maybe sounding as privileged, not appreciating, you know, the, uh, you know, disenfranchisement that they are in. And therefore, uh, this whole fear and, uh, you know, I guess, taraddud uh, in a sense, you know, makes people kind of do entire ihjam, you know, they don't want to do anything and they just keep sending statuses. And, uh, you know, I guess you can, you know, sense my psyche, like, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to, you know, imagine all these fears kind of jumbling together. That's interesting point. Before you go, uh, I'll let you answer that, Imam Dawood, just an uh, interesting point, Qadar, because I, I know I personally heard from from some uh, even, uh, even Muslim leaders from immigrant communities is that, you know, depending on, uh, based on, you know, a reaction to, uh, you know, uh, uh, mishaps or uh, misstatements, uh, that some of them are very, um, even more reticent to uh, address the, the topic of race because they're concerned about the backlash that they may face, whether it's on social media or, or just uh, in their own communities. So there's a, I, I sort of fear what you're saying, Gaidar, about the sort of fear that even for, even for those who do want to maybe try to help, there's this fear that, uh, well, maybe I won't do it right or maybe I'll make it worse. Um, so uh, that's definitely, I think, uh, I think uh, 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 an issue that uh, some people are feeling. Yes, I agree uh, 100%. I think that uh, there's, a, there's two things that uh, can influence people about not feeling um, uh, welcomed, who maybe want to do more and not feeling welcome. Of course, there is there are some people who are uh, fearful, uh, f- have fear or have cowardice and don't really want to go in certain areas. And I would say those people that just go and just show up and, and just your presence, you don't even say anything. And there would be people who would appreciate uh, your, your presence. But it is also the issue of one, uh, a type of attitude that permeate our community, almost a type of like, uh, Marxist type of leanings of wanting to shout people down, a very type of uh, uh, unmerciful type of um, 
demeanor that people have that someone makes a mistake or slips up that then, you know, they get crucified and get called all types of names. And like they could have like have done 30 years of building institutions and giving Dawa and then all of that's going down the drain if they make a misstep like at a at, at a conference or say a couple of things that, that perhaps are viewed as insensitive. That's uh, one thing that we have. And then I, I would also say on another end that it may be not even just be uh, uh, racial things that they're concerned about. But as I mentioned before, there is a uh, a level of classism that is tied into perhaps the racism. But just uh, I want to tell both of you a secret and, and our listeners that uh, all black people who are, are Muslims aren't on one accord that says all black of America uh, and um, we have our own classism issues with inside the African-American Muslim community. And I would point people to get a little taste of it from a macro level. There's a book called uh, Dis- uh, Disintegration, the Splintering of Black America by Eugene Robinson, um, which is a very good book that talks about the difference between uh, middle class, upper middle class African-Americans who are suburbanites and those who... Uh, weren't able uh, or or didn't want to leave uh, the, uh, the the inner cities, uh, and many of the people are stuck there and dealing with certain uh, issues that perhaps uh, black people aren't dealing with all those issues in the suburbs. And this is why I've started using the term uh, more uh, recently. I, I've stopped using the term indigenous Muslims and immigrant Muslims. I've been using the term uh, more so suburban Muslims and urban Muslims, uh, because we even have this issue of, of, of Muslims who are African-Americans that if they're not in the so-called uh, hood enough, if they're not like on the streets marching uh, or if they live in the suburbs, if they teach at an Islamic institution uh, or even sometimes it's their, their blackness or authenticity is brought into question if their if their husband or wife is not black, but comes from Arab or, or South Asian uh, background, then they're considered to be uh, not authentically black enough. So, you know, even within black Muslims or Muslims who are African-American, I can tell you that uh, just as there's a, a macro problem or a macro issue of people sometimes feeling um, a little cautious about saying things or doing things, this actually exists within African-American Muslims ourselves. Uh, I think I just want to return um, uh, to, uh, you know, we're talking about, for example, the outreach, uh, so the outreach or the fear of, uh, for some people, being outreach. I, I, I think we should also be real here, and that this is actually a minority of a lot of people in the immigrant community. The, the I think the majority still are still just in those insular uh, 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 communities, and they're not really uh, even caring or thinking about uh, African Americans or other disenfranchised uh, peoples, and also they, they they just don't really look at racism and prejudices as something on their radar, which of course is a, is a, is a, is a major problem. Um, and I'll tell you later, I feel very frustrated as someone from uh, immigrant uh, background uh, that um, when we even when we talk about racism or prejudice in the community, if you go to like conferences, or you go to you know you see, or you see articles and things like that a lot of that is being articulated by African Americans or African American Muslims, and my frustration is that um, there, uh, there, are some, there are some people from the immigrant communities who are talking about this issue, but it's certainly not enough, and it's certainly not at the scale that I would expect that a, this problem can be addressed, because it, uh, to me, it's, 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 it's actually quite a minority. And when you, see, when you don't see your own 
if I can use this term, if your own people standing up against this issue in your own community, then they're, they're not the community that can take, take, it, uh, take it seriously. Absolutely. I mean, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, you'd be, um, I mean, I heard some very unfortunate, uh, you know, reactions when it comes to some of these conferences, you know, when uh, an African-American uh, scholar mentions the issue of racism in his lectures, uh, you know, you'd see like, oh, here we go yeah, again, absolutely. he's bringing, yeah. uh, you know, but uh, again, like Malcolm X said, rahimahullah, you know, uh, this is a natural reaction of the overwhelming uh, action of in action, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, but you know, in terms of uh, like us as general, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, you know, community, uh, you know, members uh, in the larger uh, Muslim American scale, you know, we don't see that happening. We don't see that issue being tackled, you know, and uh, then, uh, you know, as a reaction, you see some of these, uh, you know, um, the, you know, uh, black scholars uh, that are coming. Either, uh, you know, if I can use your term, Sidi Dawood, indigenous uh, African-American, uh, you know, or people who are from here uh, or other, uh, you know, uh, black scholars that are coming from, uh, you know, Africa or uh, other areas of uh, in the world. When that happens, you see people kind of also having another defense mechanism in terms of uh, toning out, you know, or, uh, you know, being zoned out, you know, in terms of the entire conversation. So uh, I guess we can... Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, like, you know, to your example, I mean, like, yeah, when someone talks or starts talking about it in a conference or wherever and they start talking about racism and then so a lot of people in immigrant communities are like, oh, why does everything have to be about race, right? Well, exactly. that's part of the problem because you don't see yourself as being accountable. Right. Um, and you don't understand that it's a problem that you may not recognize, you know, consciously. And this is what uh, happens to a lot of people in uh, uh, all of us living in society is that when you're living in a racist, uh, a racist framework, uh, you uh, you acclimatize yourself to that framework, and so you think along those standards and the, along those along those ideas. And then one of the 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 one of the the um, the the outcomes of that is that, and this is we are very much guilty of this is that you always think that like. Every, uh, I can't be racist. Maybe other people can be racist. Maybe other people can be accountable, but surely I can't be. And I think that's a lot of the reaction people get is that that when everyone say like, "Oh, why does it have to be a race?" It's because they are they they have this this uh, idea within them that that I'm just not accountable for it. It's not my I, I didn't do anything. Um, which is certainly um, you, there's a lot of research and a lot of uh, things out there that could say that we are. Uh, but I, I knew that Salim was going to say it better than I. <laughs> well. You know, and I think there needs to be more people who are not black who talk about racism in the community and also anti-black racism. And that's why I really uh, appreciated um, at the last Pearls conference when I was sitting on the panel with Sheikh Hassan from uh, Taysir Seminary. He talked about the issue and gave very tangible uh, examples. Uh, and I was actually at a, another a convener conference with him over the summer. Uh, at the uh, with with the Hira intensive, and I know he spoke about the issue again uh, there as well. So I mean that that needs to be said more and by more shiuk, and it also alleviates the uh, the the, uh, the unfortunate burden where uh, Africans and African American scholars then feel the need sometimes to censure themselves. Uh, so you know we don't accuse get accused of being 
the 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 uh, the Al Sharptons of Islam, and then the other messages that we have to get, or, or the other messages that we give, get drowned out because we consider it to be the 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 race imam or the race sheikh. Like, and you know, I'll just say it myself. I mean, I, I've talked about my my book uh, that I co-authored with Sidi Ahmed Mubarak at a few uh, uh, universities and a few masajid, but uh, I haven't even in the last in the last year, I've specifically not given a khutbah, a khutbah to Jum'ah, dealing with the issue of al-asabiyah or unsariyah, particularly racism, because, um, you know, I, I found myself getting to be labeled as, oh, this is just, you know, the, you know, you know, all Daoud talks about is racism. He, you know, he, he's the, he's the race baiter imam. So, you know, I, I, uh, I end up censuring myself uh, some so that the other messages I want to, you know, lift up regarding you know, trying to move towards sacred activism, you know, dealing with the issues of trying to uh, help us remedy other spiritual diseases of the heart, such as ostentation and, and other things that we can deal with that uh, as well. And actually, I, I could be heard talking about those issues. So that's it's it's you know, we, we, we live in a different a difficult climate, in a different a difficult situation. Then there's also the issue that you mentioned of sometimes the authority of scholars who are black are, are questioned, uh, not unless they have uh, studied in, in the Arab world and, and have seen been seen with enough pictures or ijazat from certain shiuch that uh, people may hold in high esteem, maybe in Turim or other places. But for some of us who studied in West Africa or, or under West African uh, shiuch and spent time in places such as uh, Senegal and Mali and, and Nigeria, such as my my good friend uh, Sheikh Mohammed Mendes, then then sometimes our our um, you know our not our worth but our actual competency uh, gets gets even called into into questioning sometimes. So you know we we have this problem as as you two mentioned as multiple levels and is multifaceted. And all of this really fundamentally boils down to what uh, we, you know, we spoke of in the very beginning is in how uh, uh, we as Muslims from a lot of uh, South Asian, Arab and uh, other uh, uh, backgrounds value or devalue uh, blackness. Um, you know, and there's colorism, there's the prejudice, there's racism, um, and, and and that that can even be in terms of even uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, for example, where a scholar trained that uh, we don't value uh, or we don't uh, look at with the same esteem uh, uh, West African scholarship as opposed to say someone who studied in a Sham or, or Syria, for example. Uh, I, we had a podcast uh, not too long ago with uh, Dr. Bilal Ware. Uh, which completely demunks this idea, actually, in terms of the scholarship and the quality of the scholarship, and even the authenticity um, and fidelity to the the most classical Islamic tradition, and uh, that was found in the West African West African Muslim scholarship. Um, now, in terms of how we value blackness, uh, Imam Dawood, uh, you you've written a book uh, recently, uh, which uh, uh, is called "Centering Black Narrative," um, and um, uh, in the book, uh, uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, talk about it a little bit. Um, it discusses sort of the concept of uh, of uh, the blackness of, uh, of of personalities in the early early Muslim history, uh, including uh, many Sahaba. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you felt the need to um, to compile this as a resource and, and to write this book, uh, and why you feel that this is important in this uh, overall topic of addressing anti-blackness and spiritually addressing this problem? 
Well, uh, there were uh, three uh, groups of people that we wanted this book uh, to reach to. Uh, volume one of Centering Black Narrative, Black Muslim Nobles Among the Early Pious Muslims, which came out in February this year. We're actually um, working on completing volume two of Centering Black Narrative that will be about, uh, inshallah, um, Ahlul Bayt, Blackness in Africa. Uh, so the first uh, group was for Muslims who are black of, of African uh, descent, including Afro-Arabs, to help uh, be a type of, of of healing and for people to see uh, great Muslims uh, amongst the Salaf who, uh, who look like them. Um, and I can't uh, stress the importance of this enough that people are able to see themselves uh, in the early Islamic narrative, not just um, the spiritual state of the people and people who are great and, and awliya, awliyaullah, but also people who look like them. Because when we uh, think about the Sahaba or certain movies that are made, such as uh, The Message by Mustafa Aqad or uh, even the movie that was made about Omar, when you look at the, at, at the Sahaba and you see the most prominent ones or people who made a, uh, uh, a big contribution to Islam, and none of them look like you, except for Sayyidina Bilal, and, and he uh, is predominantly shown or discussed as only being uh, someone who was liberated from slavery, who had a good voice, then this could cause people to, to feel like they may have some sort of uh, inferior, uh, subtly, I mean, not overtly, but perhaps, you know, may, maybe, maybe they are second class Muslims, or maybe they, uh, uh, their blackness is somehow uh, wasn't. Uh, as formative in, in advancing Islamic civilization. So we, we did this for a type of healing for uh, people who are um, black. The second was for uh, suburban uh, Muslims who are non-black and predominantly Arabs to acquaint Arabs with themselves and their heritage and their connection to blackness. In other words, that many Arabs themselves don't have this false understanding of of, of Arab black uh, uh, mutual exclusivity, where in fact uh, the predominant description of Arabs of the of the original Arabs that that came from Yemen and then went to the Hijaz, they actually were described predominantly as as Sumer well Udma as brown and, and dark brown, and there were uh, black Arabs at that time uh, who did not have African lineage, but there also were. Uh, noble Arabs uh, who were uh, black Arabs who had uh, interracial background or inter-ethnic background, such as Umar al-Khattab, uh, and his, uh, his grandfather, Nufail, had a Habashia or Ethiopian mother. And then uh, the mother of al-Khattab uh, also had an Ethiopian uh, uh, mother, for instance. So uh, Omar's great-grandmother and grandmother, according to Ibn al-Jawzi in Tawil al-Ghabish fi Fali Sudan wa Habish, uh, that Omar himself in his description, uh, which, it, which, which was not depicted in the movie Omar, that he was, was probably favoring me and, 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 or perhaps even slightly darker than myself. 
in, uh, in, in, in skin color and, and had physical stature similar to, to myself, but probably a, a little bit bigger. So, I mean, this is important for Arabs to, to know and know themselves and know uh, their roots and, and even their connection to blackness. Then the third group is, uh, is for what Dr. Uh, Sherman Abdul-Hakim Jackson, may Allah preserve him, what Dr. Jackson described as the black orientalists, meaning those uh, Pan-Africanists or those black intellectuals who attack Islam, uh, they bring up the so-called um, East African um, or, or the Arab slave trade, and they accuse African-American Muslims to say, oh, well, you've traded in one slave master, meaning the white man in Christianity, for another slave master, which is the Arab and Islam. So this book um, also debunks some of the uh, the myths uh, for the black orientalists who has set up this paradigm of uh, this false paradigm of uh, or false framework of black and, and Arab mutual exclusivity. Of course, these there, there's a strong connection uh, in the early generation of Muslims between uh, Arabness and blackness. And I think you spoke about uh, nobility, Sidi uh, Dawood, uh, when it comes to, uh, especially for the Arab to know uh, about their, um, you know, uh, roots uh, uh, or, uh, um, you know, connecting, uh, you know, blackness to uh, the ultimate level of nobility, which is Ahlul Bayt, alayhim rubbanallah wa salamu. So when it comes to, uh, you know, that, uh, I guess you can remind us as well of the black elements of Ahlul Bayt, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, recognizing that nobility and centralizing the black narrative in it. Definitely. In our, our book, and of course the, uh, the leader of Ahlul Bayt after Rasulullah uh, is, is Imam Arifin Ali ibn Abi Talib who is uh, predominantly described as Kenna Adam Shadid al-Udma as being darker or chocolate brown and, and Imam Ali is described as being the same skin color as Bilal al-Habashi and of course he's Hashemite I mean it doesn't get really too much more Arab than, than Benny Hashem from, from Quraysh but uh, we do touch on uh, in our in our book and some of our writings for volume 2 and it's, inshallah it'll be out by Black History Month 2018 where we talk about uh, this best family amongst family in this best uh, lineage of all lineage, the, the lineage that comes from Fatima Zahra, uh, that we, we, we show the, uh, the blackness uh, of them as how they were described, but also that many of the uh, early imams of, of Ahlul Bayt actually had a, a preference or uh, married women, mm-hmm. and, and had cho- or had children by women who were African women. So, for instance, uh, Imam uh, Jafar al-Sadiq, uh, the Imam of the Sunnah, uh, married uh, an African woman, and uh, they uh, sired uh, two children from this uh, from this from this union. Uh, Imam Musa al-Qadim. Uh, a great imam of Ahlul Bayt who's described as being uh, dark black and also uh, Aisha uh, bint uh, Jafar Sadiq uh, who is her maqam or she's buried in, in, in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, so their uh, mother uh, Hamida was a, a black woman from Africa 
who uh, gave birth uh, to these two great uh, Islamic scholars and, and friends of God. And we mentioned other uh, people, uh, uh, Musa al-Jawn. Al-Jawn is a title in Arabic, which literally means al-Aswad, or means Musa the Black. Uh, Musa al-Jawn, who is the son of, of Abdullah, who is the son of, of Hassan al-Muthanna, the son of Hassan al-Sipt, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, he is described as being jet black and a, uh, a, he's a scholar of hadith uh, from Ahlul Bayt. So uh, we have these uh, people we plan in our book. Uh, we are, um, and I mentioned uh, Imam Ali, but we're going from Imam Muhammad al-Baqir, and then we are uh, mentioning uh, other uh, individuals chronologically, and the book will be planned on talking about uh, Uthman bin Fudi and Abdullah bin Fudi, the two great Islamic scholars from Nigeria, uh, who there um, from the uh, from the uh, you know who were part of the really the revival of Islam in 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 that area, and their mother was a Sharifa, and the last personality that we plan is having uh, Sidi Tuba uh, Ahmadu Bamba, Rahmatullahi uh, Taala the great. Uh, scholar of, of Senegal who resisted uh, French colonialism. His mother, uh, uh, Mariama, uh, was a, uh, a Sharifa. Uh, both of those, Uthman um, uh, uh, bin Fodi, or, or also called Uthman bin Fodio, Abdullahi bin Fodio, and uh, Sidi Touba, Ahmadou Bamba, uh, their mothers being descendants of Al Hassan ibn Ali, alayhi salam. So this is uh, what we are uh, planning for the to be out in volume two, uh, inshallah. Inshallah. So um, you know this effort, I think, is 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 quite powerful in that uh, in that how it can help us in 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 anti-blackness in our communities because you know you know spirituality can inform you know cultural realities just as culture can uh, affect how we how we perceive our spirituality and the way I see uh, uh, Imam Dawood this this effort is that. Uh, you're, you're you're drawing on these very key spiritual figures that are uh, sacred uh, and beloved by Muslims worldwide, um, but also tying into that to their their cultural background or their ethnic or the racial background. Is it the hope that by by Arabs recognizing this um, this blackness of or not just Arabs but everybody recognizes the blackness of of certain companions and certain luminaries in our tradition that that will challenge us to finally re revisit this idea of how we what we ourselves value blackness that how we ourselves consider uh black how can you consider black to be a negative uh, trait or a negative um uh, attribute when the most beloved of uh, the creation the most beloved of of uh, of the of the actual uh, descendants of the Prophet وسلم, are are black. Um, so to me, I, I see this as as a, as a great cultural and spiritual like, fusion of to address this this issue of anti blackness. Yeah, and, and that's our hope, and we and we hope that this book will have influence on on uh, teachers in Islamic schools as well as in weekend school programs that when they talk about issues such as the righteous khulafa. And if kids from a young age are told that two of those five, uh, Omar al-Khattab and Ali ibn Talib, in their physical descriptions, 
would would be seen as black Arabs today, or could be seen as black black Americans if they were wearing Western clothing, walk around Detroit or Southside Chicago, then perhaps that that may uh, change some of the uh, of the of the or help diffuse some of the anti-black sentiments that maybe they pick up uh, implicitly on TV and the media uh, and, 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 and through other sources, you know, if they hear about Omar Ali or, as you mentioned here, about the, the deep roots of the, of the blackness of, of, of Ahlul Bayt, uh, Sayyid Abdul Qadr Al-Jilani, uh, uh, I mean, he's described, if you look at his biography, he's described as being dark brown in skin color. And he's the descendant of Musa al-Jawn, this uh, black Arab uh, who is the great-great-grandson of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. So there's a uh, same thing with uh, Abu Hassan al-Shadhali is described as being uh, uh, dark brown in skin color. Um, so, you know, these these great luminaries who are descendants of the Prophet Islam, and these people who we consider saints like Abdul Qadr uh, al-Jilani, uh, uh, Abul Hassan al-Shadhali, uh, Ahmadu Bamba, uh, people like that, uh, be they in Africa or outside of Africa where their, uh, where their maqamat are at, um, we hope that by people getting this knowledge that uh, this will give them um, a, a better appreciation of, of all of the children of Adam and help safeguard or vaccinate them from uh, anti-black racism. So, Ghaidar, I mean, I think about, you know, this topic of, uh, of um, this issue of representation in terms of our, you know, our literature, in terms of our media, uh, you know, obviously in, in, from this book of, of uh, Imam Dawood, where we're learning about, uh, for example, the blackness of, of these luminaries. Uh, but I even think like, you know, just for example, like uh, in terms of teaching our kids, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, for uh, for kids, uh, whether from uh, immigrant backgrounds or whatever, they uh, they see these images, they see um, this anti-blackness that's prevalent within the broader society as well, not just the Muslim community. And, and like, I'll just give you an example. Like, um, there's a great, there's a, one of my favorite books that I that I used to read to my kids, a Muslim book. I mean, it's a great book, but the 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 the, the um, the all the illustrations are very right. very fair skinned, right, right? And I, I actually was very concerned. You know, it's a great book, but I I wonder about like what they are taking from that. And then on the flip side, I, I recently saw another um, recent book uh, that's geared towards children, a Muslim book, and it was quite striking the level of the degree of of the diversity of actually even the preponderance of very dark brown and black mm -hmm. images of, of people in that book and. Um, I, I wonder, and I'm, I'm going to ask uh, ask uh, both of you, Imam Dawood and, and uh, Ghaidar, do because of the prevalence of this anti-blackness in, in where in, in in our society, do we need to uh, really counterbalance it right. to the point where I, sometimes I think like maybe all our children's books should just be just very dark-skinned characters and very you know as almost a counterbalance to what um, you're getting otherwise. Sometimes I feel that way. I don't know if that's really the, what needs to be done, but sometimes I feel like there's almost like you have to go the other way just to sort of counterbalance that. Right. Well, I mean, of course, uh, Sidi Dawood, uh, I'll let you give the better answer at the end. But, uh, um, you know, in uh, in the way that uh, Salim is saying, you know, I'm thinking about all the... Uh, extension of white colonialism you know uh, you know either in Hollywood or in the uh, 
uh, you know, images of uh, even the uh, uh, Arabic books. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Syria, and 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 uh, all of these uh, books had uh, very uh, fair skin uh, characters, even in the major manahaj uh, dirasiya that that we followed, and of course uh, extends to so many other things. So much so that I'm thinking, oh my God, we have uh, uh, so many instances instances of uh, white Jesus <laughs> in, in in our uh, history books, and unfortunately, that translates and permeates into uh, you know the psyche of adults uh, before the children, uh, and I think uh, that's uh, you know the brilliance and uh, mashallah the 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 strength and power. Uh, of that second volume, of course, and the first volume as well, inshallah, all of them three together. But, uh, you know, uh, having these narrations of the, uh, you know, uh, skin tone of our Sahaba uh, and our masters of Al-Bayt, uh, you know, is very powerful. Uh, some people may say that, why are you guys, uh, you know, talking about this? You know, Islam is all about the values and so on and so forth. You know, why are you bringing skin color? Why are you highlighting that, you know, um, in a way to minimize uh, this? But uh, we have to recognize the social implications. We have to recognize the um, uh, major deficit that we have, you know, as, uh, you know, a community that's feeling insecure because most Muslims are really not white, you know, uh, as far as I uh, can, you know, tell from the distribution of Muslims around the world, you know. So, um, you know, uh, and I guess uh, maybe see that we can mention uh, a couple of points about that when it comes to children feeling secure, uh, you know, in their identity, identity as black Muslims as well. You know, uh, you know, uh, that also is another, uh, you know, um, uh, add on uh, to the strength that they see themselves in, uh, you know, uh, uh, when uh, skin color is, is, is presented to them in a very subliminal way, uh, you know, even in our Islamic texts. It's my belief that we should show uh, diverse depictions and have them be historically accurate, especially of not just Muslims in our demographics today, but how they looked in the early generations. And... You know, I say to Muslims who would say, well, why is this important or why even mention color? Well, uh, our scholars, uh, there are books of Ahadith, there's books of, of, of Imam Rijal, there's books that talks about the merits of, of certain uh, individuals that clearly mentions the skin color of, of, of people, even their hair. So we didn't just pull these descriptions out from the sky. It was great scholars who uh, the wisdom they were guided towards wrote down these physical descriptions. Like no one says that we shouldn't learn the, the Shema'il or learn the physical description of our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because when you love someone that you want to be connected to them and you want to like know as much as you can about them. So when we mention these things about Imam Ali, when we mention these things about Jafar al-Sadiq is because we learn not just their inward descriptions and about their akhlaq, but we also want to learn about their outward descriptions because the lover 
wants to know as much and be as closely connected to their beloved as possible. So this is one thing uh, that I like to say regarding this. And again, uh, we we mention our books like where we where we reference. We reference texts from from Esayuti, from Ibn El Jauzi, from El Jahid. Uh, from from uh, from other texts from from Ahmed bin Hanbal, like you know, we went to uh, uh, authentic uh, texts when we uh, reference these these descriptions and 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 others. The the other thing that I would like to say in regards to this, and this relates to Book One, but when we read Islamic history and we hear the word black, like black has a certain social political meaning and framework in 20th and 21st century uh, Western civilization that was understood very differently in the time of the Salaf and the time of the early generations where uh, it was not seen within the racial constructs of European anthropology. So I'll give you an example. Like uh, uh, if, if we were to look into a Lisano Arab by uh, Ibn Mandur, then we would see that whiteness or what is called homer or the word uh, ahmar like in the hadith like there is no superiority of the aswad over the ahmar that whiteness or redness was primarily associated with people of the byzantine empire or or qamurum and and persians whereas blackness or darkness was more associated with people outside those areas including the arabs uh, and the people from africa and also el jahid uh, gives an explanation of this, of blackness as well. He said that it was known or understood at that time, and El-Jahid was a Mu'tazili scholar who was a contemporary of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal. El-Jahid even said that at that time that it, it is known that the people of El-Hind, meaning the Indian subcontinent, were classified or known to be amongst the blacks, right? To be amongst the blacks. So like... Uh, our worldview and how we look at black is completely a negative thing, or even how we define black in 21st century America, as it was understood back in the time of the Salaf is very different. And that's something that uh, we need to understand, even when we are reading uh, it's classical uh, Islamic texts and Islamic history books. Now, and I think, you know, by, by flipping the script, if you will, by changing our attitude towards blackness from one of negativity to not just one of uh, neutrality, but actually to one of positivity, um, that is going to uh, uh, play a, a major role and a major motivation in 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 people really going out and addressing the issue of racism, addressing the issues facing uh, um, disenfranchised, uh, um, you know, uh, peoples. It, you really need that drive. You know, I mean, sometimes I feel like there's a dryness to our discourse. Uh, about uh, this topic of racism that like, okay, Islam, there should not be racism. Okay, and we have to be just and we have to be, so we have to do it. We just have to do it, you know, because that's our response to Muslims. And that's absolutely right. But I feel like the missing component that's really going to to drive it home is that there has to, it has to come from like something deep within that this love that I know I want to do something for, as you said before about the Ithar, um, both of you actually mentioned that you want to do something for your brother that, um, who you want them to be, uh, to actually be, do better than you yourself. Uh, if that, if that's not there, I, I can't see a, a path forward that is really going to be uh, sustainable and addressing the issue. And this is why, um, 
and we we start off this discussion that uh, when we're talking about anti-blackness or racism in general, that it needs to be dealt with and looked at firstly from a, a spiritual problem, a spiritual disease, and then the socio-political uh, implications, uh, be it uh, uh, in the community or, or structures in the broader society, are nothing but symptoms of the disease, right? So like uh, the, the, the political implications in the broader society of anti-blackness, mass incarceration, police brutality, or if we're talking about representation inside the Muslim community and major Muslim organizations of some major Muslim organizations not having a single black person or scholar on their board, executive board, uh, how sometimes black scholars won't get invited to certain gatherings, uh, these are just s symptoms. They aren't the actual uh, problem in and of itself, but they are, they are symptoms of, of a disease that is spiritual in nature. And, uh, you know, people, people who are filled with spiritual maladies can't transform the community, much less society. So we have to deal with these issues on a spiritual level first. And then those, and then, you know, dealing or uh, organizing social politically or in other terms, those are just tools or, or instruments that we use while we are, you know, working to uh, to take the the bad traits out of ourselves and to fill ourselves or try to model virtuous traits inside of ourselves. You know, I was thinking, like, how many times do you ever hear like um, a dua, like someone make a dua, like Oh Allah, like you know remove racism from our hearts or oh Allah like dismantle white supremacy it's like it's not really on that our spiritual radar when, when it should be um, as we close here Imam Dawood um, if you could perhaps give a few you know uh, obviously dua is a major uh, element in in our spiritual practice but if you give maybe a, a few other pointers to people to our listeners in in terms of spiritually addressing the problem things that they can do on a spiritual level first that can get them ready to to start doing the work of, uh, of anti-racism Okay, number one, of course, I mentioned the self-inventory or self-reflection for those who are listening. And we all need to think about ourselves about uh, do we interact with other people in very different ways or do we uh, afford people certain rights or benefits of the doubt uh, just because of how they look and don't afford those same rights or those same benefit of doubt to other people who look differently. I think that's one thing that we need to, you know, be really honest about and take inventory uh, with ourselves. The second thing that I would say is that uh, we as, as practicing Muslims, as students of knowledge, that we should uh, take the time and try to look at opportunities. And especially when we're talking about anti-black uh, racism, that we should go to uh, retreats or go to the masajid and actually seek out within our community uh, qualified uh, teachers who are African-American or who come from Africa and take the time and sit and visit those communities, uh, take the effort and, and, and learn from them. And then also if those people who are on executive boards or who are on committees or on MSAs who have the influence or who have the authority to invite speakers that I would also say invite these speakers uh, to the community for Salat al-Jumma and to have uh, uh, workshops and not just about 
uh, talking about racism, not just in the month of February for Black History Month, but all throughout the year to talk about uh, what uh, what uh, they have learned, what we have learned uh, from from our teachers. I think that's also something that's very important. And then the third is is just being sincere and just going to uh, to people and having uh, suhbah with them as the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam told Abu Dhar al-Ghafari uh, he said that you love the poor people and you sit with them well obviously all African Americans aren't masakeen um, who are Muslims um, I'm not even sure I would even say the majority of African American Muslims are, 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 are masakeen from a legal uh, or fiqhi perspective but it is to say that love your Muslim brother or sister or seek to love your Muslim brother and sister and to actually go uh, to where they are at and just uh, sit and just have conversation uh, and uh, invite people to uh, your gatherings. You go to other people's uh, gatherings and it doesn't have to be even just l uh, learning per se in a class. It can just be getting in contact with other people's hum humanity and getting that experiential knowledge of actually uh, having the arwah uh, connect with other uh, arwah or spirits connecting with other spirits. Um, I think those are uh, ways forward and, you know, that will help us, you know, get rid of some of the, inshallah, get rid of some of the the um, the arrogance, but also some of the fear of the unknown, as Ali Nabi Talib said, that people are are, are adversarial or adversaries to that which they are ignorant of. I think that a lot of a lot of our problems are just based upon we we really don't know each other in in a real human way. I want to thank uh, uh, Imam Dawood uh, Walid uh, for joining us today. Again, he uh, has uh, volume one of his work, which we've been talking about. Uh, it's called Centering Black Narrative: Black Muslim Nobles Among the Early Pious Muslims, uh, authored by Dawood Walid, uh, our guest, as well as Ahmed Mubarak. Uh, you can purchase that book. Uh, it's available on Amazon as well as other. Um, booksellers as well and uh, volume two is going to come out in like february right or some inshallah it should be in february inshallah centering black narrative ahlu bait blackness in africa inshallah. so we look forward to that and uh, definitely uh, uh you know get volume one and and we'll be anxiously waiting a uh, volume two i want to thank you imam dawood for joining us uh we could probably talk a lot longer Certainly, about yeah. this topic i hope i hope we didn't take too much time but uh I, we really enjoyed it and um uh, for the lack of better terms you put the soul back into this topic so <laughs> thank you very much uh was my pleasure so again, I'd like to thank Imam Dawood and I'd like to thank all the listeners again for joining us for this episode. Again, if you haven't um, already, please subscribe to the podcast. Visit imanwire.com for the latest articles and uh, other podcast episodes. If you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, give us a, a, a review, leave your a feedback, a comment. All of that really helps in, in, in getting this podcast out to a, a broader audience. Uh, you can always uh, tweet at us at imanwired or email us at uh, imanwire at elmedinaistitute.org. We hope to see you again in the next podcast. Until then, peace be unto you. Assalamu alaikum.